<coughs> we're gonna light the advent candle for today. Um, the candle represents light coming into the world. And the prophet said long ago that uh, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And they were thrilled to the idea that the darkness was going to be dispelled by that light. And so we light a candle at Advent season, uh, not just to light a candle, but we light it so that uh, we can remind people that there was a something wonderful that happened and the darkness of this world was changed into light by Jesus Christ coming into the world. And Advent is also a season of preparation. That is, as we're getting ready for the thoughts of Christmas, uh, we uh, prepare ourselves. And uh, like the season at Easter time that we celebrate, Advent is meant to be a preparation, getting ready for the wonderful thoughts of the birth of Christ. And so uh, we uh, light a candle to remind us that Jesus came into this world and it was a wonderful gift that he did. All right, and so we begin that lighting that candle today. There's four candles so that there's a fullness when Jesus comes. Our text today as we begin our Christmas thoughts come from Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one for our text today as we consider beginning thoughts today about the birth of Christ. We'll be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, with just a little bit from uh, Matthew to get us started. Occasionally at our, at our house we have visitors who come from all over. Uh, they're always my relatives, not my wife's. And nephews and nieces and sisters and cousins and we have enough room so they can stay with us. My lovely wife always makes preparation for our visitors to make sure they feel welcome. And sometimes their visits can be close together in time. Uh, my wife always puts fresh seats on any spare bed. And as soon as someone leaves, she removes the sheet, washes it, and puts a fresh sheet back on the bed. And then uh, before the next visitor arrives, she changes that sheet that's never been slept in uh, just so they will have a fresh sheet. Everybody gets fresh sheets. Of course, that's not all she does. Uh, she gets bottles of water, stores them in three or four places in case they ever get thirsty anywhere in the house. And she makes sure that there are snacks in case they want something at midnight. And when breakfast rolls around, she gives them the menu. You can have bacon and eggs, or you can have sausage and eggs, or you can have pancakes and bacon and eggs, or if you prefer, I can make French toast. And there's four or five kinds of cereal, or in other words, you can have anything you want for <laughs> breakfast. That's how she serves that up. And I've heard her say many times when lunchtime comes, she says, I'm sorry, 
all we've got is sandwiches. Now you can have ham or turkey or thuringer or salami. You can have Swiss cheese or American or hot pepper cheese or provolone. And there's rye bread and there's wheat bread and white bread and pumpernickel. And there is butter or mayonnaise or oil or mustard, but I'm sorry we're just having sandwiches. <laughs> she's made every preparation so that our visitors feel not just welcome, but pampered. And of course, we want people to know that we're happy that they have come. And we hope that they'll return often. Miss Cheryl is well known for her special preparations. We just got a note last week from a nephew uh, who thanked us for, quote, your famous hospitality, all due to my wife. And uh, so it is. We want visitors to know that they are important to us and we prepare for all of our visitors. Now, as we come to this season of the year, it's with great pleasure that I look at the biblical accounts of the birth of Christ, for it was an amazing birth. And I love the old song says, Christmas is here again, stand up and cheer again. Let's leave our heartaches and troubles behind. So as we begin our Christmas season here, it's an event that is shaking and a shocking moment in history. And I would consider the reason for this particularly shocking moment in history. And let me read to you the shocking nature of it. I'm reading from Matthew 2. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And so traveling from a far off country in the east, and we believe that they came from Yemen, there's a group of people called the Magi, and as their caravan enters Jerusalem, they pose a question. There is a newborn king, and we have come to worship him, so the question is where can we find him? The shocking part of the story is that nobody has any idea what they're talking about. A new king? No, no. Herod's the king in Jerusalem. He has no new sons. Uh, so what do we say to these magi? There is no newborn king. But Herod is an evil man. He has killed several of his own family members, even his own sons, because he wanted to make sure that no one would ever steal his throne. And his suspicious, suspicious nature, being a violent and vicious man, causes him to pause a moment and think about the question of the Magi. 
The only possibility that he can think of is that the Old Testament prophecy that out of King David's line would come a Messiah, a king who would rule over Israel. And he inquires of the rabbis where this Messiah would be born. They tell him he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So he sends the Magi to Bethlehem. So why is it that when the Magi come, nobody has any idea what they're talking about? How is it that they are taken so completely by surprise? So let's consider what happened to create these circumstances. The last Hebrew prophet was a man named Malachi. And Malachi lived 400 years before the birth of Christ. Since then, Israel had no other prophets, which means that for 400 years after Malachi, God remained silent. No words from God. No prophecies, no prophets, no nothing for 400 years. Now 400 years is a long time. 400 years ago, 1620, the pilgrims landed here in the continental United States. They called it America. A lot has happened since 1620, hasn't it? So it was in those days. A lot happened in those 400 years when God remained silent. Whole kingdoms rose and fell during those 400 years. And one of those kingdoms was Greece. Under Alexander the Great, Greece became a world power, but it soon faded away. And their long-lasting contribution to the world was not their military might, but their culture. In Greece, they venerated wise men. And these wise men gathered their followers and they became teachers with students. And so it was that Greek philosophers chose special young men and taught their philosophy to their young men. And that Greek culture became famous. Rome used it and also the Jews. The Jews had what they called rabbis, and these educated men gathered around them the finest young minds, they became highly respected. Now my friends, there's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with listening to what a wise man says. And when a man says, I'm smart, it may be true. But because of human nature, man will cross over a very fine line. And he will say, I'm smarter than you. And as that attitude takes hold, it begins to say, I'm smart, and you're not, and I'm better than you. And so it was 
the rabbis and their schools became exclusive. And they began to look down their noses at other people, the uneducated, the common people, until everyone was somehow inferior to them. In Jewish society, that attitude really took hold. They considered most of the rest of the Jews uneducated, inferior, the common people, the working class. And if you came from Galilee, well, <laughs> there's no hope for you. Can anything, you remember what they commented, can anything good come out of Galilee? One of their most famous students was the Apostle Paul before he became an apostle. When he graduated from their schools, he was full of hatred, full of it. He said, the Bible says he breathed out threats and slaughter. He hated Jesus and he hated all the followers of Jesus. That was their finest graduate. And so it was the rabbis considered their own ideas more important than the Bible. For example, here's some of their ideas. How many times do you wash your hands during a meal? Very important to them. Or how heavy of a load can you lift on the Sabbath, very important to the rabbis. Or how far can you travel on a Sabbath day? Or should you enter into the house of a Gentile? Here's another one. Should your wife walk beside you or behind you? And their answer was behind you. And on and on and on and on. Hundreds of rules and regulations until the natural result is that God is left out of everything. Jesus comes along later and tells them, you love your own rules more than you do God's commands. And so as these, quote, wise rabbis, look down their long noses at everyone else, they become more and more detached from reality. And so it is, when the Magi come and say, where's this new king of the Jews? They're taken completely by surprise. They are unprepared for such a question they advised Herod that the Old Testament prophet said that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But they never go to investigate this. They never even consider the possibility that Messiah could actually have been born. After all, when he comes, he'll be one of us educated, exclusive, cream of the crop. Certainly, the Messiah will be educated in our schools. 
You recall when Jesus came on the scene, he was preaching and teaching. And they asked themselves, where did he learn those things? After all, he's completely uneducated. He's never been in our school. <laughs> so unprepared, they're taken completely by surprise at the Magi's question. But in the meantime, something quite wonderful has happened. God has broken his silence after 400 years and finally said something. Somebody heard from God. A rabbi? A teacher? One of their select students? No. None of the above. Let's see who it was that first heard from God after waiting for 400 years. Luke's Gospel now, chapter number 1. I begin reading at verse number 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias in the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. His name is Zacharias. He's a priest. That is, he's from the tribe of Levi and the family of Abiah. And different families from the tribe of Levi shared the duties at the temple. And they would go and work for three months and then go home for three months on and off. And the majority of these Levites and priests were mostly butchers, actually. They handled the sacrifices, killing lambs and goats and oxen and doves, handling all the carcasses, hundreds sometimes, thousands sometimes, if the sacrifices were especially on a holiday. But Zacharias, it says, has grown old. So he gets easier duty. He's to go into the holy place and burn incense to God. So on this particular day, 
He steps past a curtain that divides the holy place from the rest of the temple. And as he steps through the curtain, on his right is a candlestick that's fed by olive oil, and it burns continuously. On his left is a table with 12 loaves of bread called the showbread. And right directly in front of him is a little brass altar for burning incense. And the idea behind it was the smoke was sweet smelling. It was to represent prayers lifted up to God like a sweet smelling smoke. Zacharias is standing by the little altar getting ready to burn incense. And suddenly... There's an angel standing right there. Now, no one's supposed to be there, only Zachariah. He's always supposed to be alone in there. So, of course, he's surprised. And, of course, he's afraid. Who's that? And the angel speaks to Zachariah and said, you're going to have a child, a boy, and you're going to name him John. He's going to be great, and he will prepare the way. Aha! Somebody's getting prepared. A visitor's coming. And somebody must get prepared. Well, Zacharias and his wife are well past childbearing years, so Zacharias says to the angel, We're too old to have a baby. Verse 18, Zechariah said unto the angel, Wherein shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, I am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. So, here's a priest, he's uneducated. He's not a part of the exclusive class. He's just a man, common, simple man, who does God's work, who gave his life to God's service, who has spent the years of his life doing exactly what God has asked him to do, serving in the temple. He doesn't live in Jerusalem where the high class priests live. He lives way out in the country in the hills of Judea. The famous rabbis never even heard his name. They had a word they actually used to describe people like Zacharias. And when you translate it, it translates this. Idiot priest. These ordinary priests were uneducated. They just did a job, nothing important, nothing more than common laborers butchering animals. Zacharias is doing what God said to do, and he is the first man to hear from God after 400 years of silence. And God said, get prepared, there's a visitor coming. And then six months later, 
Another message from God. Suddenly God's got a lot to say. Who will it be this time? Luke again, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came into her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her who was barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. This time it's a young lady. We think, She's still a teenager. It's another baby. But this time, it's the son of the high. It's the son of God. Who is Mary? All we know is that she was of the house and lineage of David. She's a commoner, plain, ordinary girl. David's descendants were no longer considered royalty. That's long gone. They were just everyday common people. So Zacharias and Mary, after 400 years of silence, God speaks to these two people. Why these two? Zacharias is a priest. He's doing God's will. He is unnoticed by elite society, but he is prepared to hear God speak. And Mary, just a teenage girl, what made them so special so as to be chosen by God? It's really one word, humility. They were humble servants. My friends, the arrogance of Jewish society was a stench in the nostrils of God. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. My friends, simply put, if you come to God and you think you got all the answers, and if you think you know it all, God's not going to say anything to you. And if you think you're better than others, then you are not prepared for a visit from God. We celebrate Advent. That is, God is coming. Christmas is a time to prepare 
for God's visit to be ready to serve. Mary said, I'll be God's handmaid. That's a servant who stays close at hand, always ready to serve at any moment. And that's why she was chosen. Not because she was someone famous, not because she was well-connected. She was a humble girl willing to serve, and Zacharias was a man who spent a lifetime serving God, so he was prepared. Both of them were surprised to be chosen by God. Humble people always are. Zacharias was surprised by the visit of Gabriel. So was Mary. They both thought, I'm nothing special. But that's what made them qualified to hear God's message. The visitor who came that first Christmas morning was the son of the highest, Jesus, the son of God. So if we want him to visit us, we need to get prepared. But remember, the Son of God was born in a barn. They laid him in a manger. Not in the halls of power, not in the luxury of Jerusalem. No, he came in a humble way to a humble place so that no one would ever feel unable to come to it. Shepherds who were considered the lowest in society by the rabbis, were baby Jesus' first visitors because they felt welcome. They felt at home when they visited baby Jesus in a barn. So he came to us, meek and lowly, so that we would never feel excluded. In this Advent season, prepare for the visitor with some humble service. He comes where he's honored and respected to everyday common people like you and like me. Plain old people. The message of Christmas is come. Come. Oh, come let us adore him. Be prepared for a wonderful Christmas with a heavenly visitor who'll come right to your house. Come right to your house. The rabbis and King Herod were unprepared. God did not appear to them. May we be prepared to receive Jesus as we enter into this wonderful Christmas season. So my friends, what is the spirit of Christmas? What does Christmas mean to us? It starts with a message. Get prepared. God is coming. The love of God was so full and so passionate that he decided to send his only son to earth to help us, to save us, to rescue us from our sins. And God chose that first Christmas at that particular moment in time because he looked down and he saw faithful people, honest people, humble people, simple people, ready, prepared. Malachi's last message 400 years before was that there's a messenger coming first 
And then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. To Zacharias, the message was, your son John will prepare for the Messiah. He's the messenger. He'll pave the way. And to Mary, your son will be the son of God. And he will save his people. So it was, the Messiah arrived. Christ came. Jesus was born. The heavenly visitor, the king of heaven, was made in the likeness of humans and arrived on that first Christmas day. When I think of what Jesus said, he often made a list of the things that he had done, of the wonderful things he had done. You remember his list like the deaf will hear, and the blind will see, and the lame will walk. And he always included in that list the gospel will be preached to the poor. <laughs> Jewish high society looked down on poor, simple, common people. Jesus did not. He loved them, he valued them, he came especially to help those who were rejected by high society. Thank you, Jesus, for that. That means you and me, we can celebrate Christmas with a great pleasure. Jesus loves plain, ordinary, common people like you and like me. So Merry Christmas. Enjoy it, enjoy it. Enjoy. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message that God came to simple people. And they were prepared to receive him. And as we come into this season, Lord, we don't need anything fancy or special. We just need to serve you in the way we can, the way we know how and that you will be there with us. We look forward to a season where you're close by, watching us, and keep our hearts humble before you, that we might do your will most of all. Bless us in this wonderful season, we ask as we enjoy the fullness of Christ. We pray that you will be with each one here as they consider these things, that they will be careful to make preparations, and be ready for this heavenly visitor. Bless us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn book, if you will, hymn number 385, which asks the question, what child is this? 385, standing as an example, what child is this? Page 385. <clears throat>
Dear Lord, we are grateful. And we ask, Lord, that we would know you, that humble babe born in a manger, done in such a way that there is no one here on earth that cannot approach you, no one so lowly, because you took the lowest place. We are thankful that we could come to you. And no matter who we are, you have come to save sinners. And so we can just approach that manger and come and know that we can be free. We just ask that our hearts would be humble and that we would be ready to receive, listening, ready for the guest that is Christ the Lord in our hearts, ready to prepare you room. We just ask that our hearts would be listening this whole season and throughout our life to come. May you open up our hearts and soften them. Take away the hard parts, the parts that we think we're better than other people. Bring us in humility and help us to listen. We are thankful for all these things and we ask that you'd just help us throughout this season to know the joy of the season, protect us, bring us back to this place many times that we may know and feel the heart of Jesus Christ in our life. We thank you for these things in your name.